1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5 says this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but come on somebody, God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now, Paul's gonna shift his attention and his dialogue now to speak about quality control. If you will, listen to what he writes. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, I want you to listen to these words, keep them in your mind and your heart because we're gonna talk about them in a moment. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. How many of you know fire tests the quality of things? The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that is what you are. Today, as we continue on in our series, Glory to Glory, I want to speak to you from this subject today, Lincoln Logs, Jenga, and the house that never falls. As we look at what Paul describes as the quality and the character of the church and what it means for each of us as we play a role in what God is building here at the well. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Would you lift your hands to heaven all across this church today? Come on, big and, big and high. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, speak to us right now. We need your words, not Jason's words. And it's in your word that we find truth. And your word tells us that where there's truth, it sets us free. And then your word tells us that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so God, we declare freedom in this house today as your word is declared. We love you, we worship you, we praise you today. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and all God's people shouted. Amen. Amen, can we give Jesus one more round of applause? Come on, can we praise him? Find your seats, tell the person next to you, you're the best looking thing I sat next to all week. <laughs> Some of you got really excited to say that. Like, and for some of you, that got real weird, real fast. You're like, I don't even know you. Um, singles, you're welcome. Um, so um, over here, I have Lincoln Logs. How many of you have played with Lincoln Logs before? Show of hands, Lincoln Logs. Oh my, okay, great, lots of you. Auditorium too, come on, put everybody, everybody who's played with Lincoln Logs, put them up. All right, sweet. Everybody in Auditorium too, fantastic. Um, so I want to tell you about a traumatic event that took place in my childhood um, that I'm still scarred by and still receive counseling over. And so, <laughs> but uh, I was playing with Lincoln Logs at an after-school program that I was a part of. And back in the day, th these Lincoln Logs right here, they're, they're made with some sort of wood plastic hybrid. The, 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 the top is wood. These are made of some weird plastic. And I think I know why they've done that now. 
after I tell the story, but I remember one day that I was building and um, I wasn't the biggest kid in my class and uh, didn't have the ability to defend myself that well, but um, I could build with Lincoln Logs like nobody's business. And so um, I built this, erected this building that I was super proud of. And one of the kids that was constantly bullying me in this moment, I kid you not, um, he walked over and he said, oh, that's a cool building. And how many of you know when somebody speaks to you like that, something destructive is about to take place? And so he said, ooh, that's a cool building. And then all of a sudden I see him levitate in the air and bring the full force of his body feet first on the top of my building. And when he landed on that building, that building broke, shattered, and wood sprayed everywhere. I was devastated in that moment. Luckily, a teacher was close by, and so he got in trouble. But what I realized on that day is that those Lincoln logs were produced in such a way using material that was not sufficient enough for a child jumping on top of it. How many of you know the material of the Lincoln logs was fine when left alone, but when pressure was applied, when weight was applied, when a child was applied, the house didn't stand because the material wasn't sufficient enough to bear the weight of what was coming against it. Those are Lincoln logs. And I think what's challenging sometimes if we're not careful this can be the way that we build churches. Now, I'm not talking about literal materials. I'm talking about other things that are going on, as we'll explain in just a moment as we read through Scripture. But sometimes it looks great. It looks like it's all nice and put together. But when it's tested, how many of you know the materials show themselves to be what the materials are? Jenga. How many of you played Jenga before? How many of you have played backyard Jenga? This is something that I just realized. Four of you? Okay. Um, so find me after service. We're going to play backyard Jenga together, okay? So uh, this is a bigger Jenga set so that we can kind of see how this goes. But the other thing that I realized, the way that we build church is uh, in using materials that necessarily aren't sufficient to bear weight, is we have a tendency to use, to build in such a way where we pick and choose what it is that we want it to look like our preference, because there's a design that has been given to us. There's a way that this is supposed to be done. That's why Paul says he, he uses language where he says gold and silver and precious stones versus wood, hay, and straw. What he's doing is he's creating a compare and contrast. And what happens sometimes is when we start just simply exercising our preferences in the building process, we go from building with gold and silver and precious stones to wood, hay, and other items that actually don't give it the strength or the resolve that we need it to be. Because there's a way this is supposed to be done, but what can happen so many times, like in Jenga, is that we start looking for things that we don't like, and we begin to remove them. I don't like this little thing called truth. There's no objective truth. And so we start then building on the foundation that's been laid in a way that we want to build. Am I talking to anybody in church today? Come on, Auditorium 2. And so we start moving things and shifting things 
Have you noticed the more that you remove, the more careful you have to be? Did God really say? But then there's a house that never falls. Some of you are going to not listen to this message at all. You're waiting for this thing to collapse. (laughs) That's fine. Just everybody stay over here. Stay with me. Stay with me. And this is the house that Jesus said he would build. And this is what he said, that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. What I want us to see from these two illustrations that Paul is teaching us here in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15, that when something is built with inefficient materials, come on, somebody, it won't last. And this is not just a physical principle, but it's a spiritual one. As Paul describes these materials for us, we must understand that they are being used in a principled way, not a, not a literal or physical way. He is using what is true in the material world to develop a truth about how the church is to be built and what is to be used to build it. Y'all with me still? So Paul uses a couple of phrases and word pairings that are necessary for examination as we seek to understand this section of scripture, especially before we get into the more practical part of our message today. And so what I wanna do is I wanna examine a few pieces of this scripture. We're gonna dig into the context of this, of this section, and then we're gonna get to the principled or the, or the practical applications of things at the back end of, that, of this message. Is that all right with everybody? All right, so this is the first thing that Paul says in verse 10. He says, according to God's grace that was given to me. He would build according to God's grace that was given to me. Paul tells us that all he has done is the product of God's power at work in him, not his will. He tells the Corinthians this because it speaks to his motives. And how many of you would acknowledge with me today, motives matter? Come on, how many over here would acknowledge with me today that motives matter? How many in this center section today would acknowledge that motives matter? Come on, how many people over here would acknowledge today that motives matter? Why you do something matters. Come on, in auditorium too, how many of you would acknowledge today that motives matter? If you are dating somebody today, how many of you know motives matter? Can I help a brother out today or a sister out today? That's like first date material. You sit down before you even start eating. What are your motives? Bad motives, no food, peace out, I'm gone. (laughs) Motives matter. In relationships, motives matter. In building, motives matter. In business, motives matter. Here's a better way to say it. Why we build is just as important as what we build. When we build and do things from our strength and our will, we typically see that the motive is is fragmented. It's not pure. This is why consecration, Pastor Howie talked about this a few weeks ago, is vital to our spiritual journey and formation. What a beautiful message on consecration. This would be the conversation that we would see take place between the angel of the Lord and Zerubbabel in Zechariah chapter four, verse six. Listen to what's said. So he answered me, this is the word of the Lord, not by strength or by might, Listen to this, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. Strength and might in this context represent human power and ingenuity. But how many of you know that when, in, when our power and our ingenuity is at work, God and his spirit are typically removed from it? How many of you know that when I'm doing life in my own way, in my own will, God is typically removed from that equation? 
How many of you know that when I'm doing relationship in my own might, in my own will, when I'm striving and I'm driving, how many of you know the spirit of God is typically removed from it? But how many of you know there's, a, there's an ease, there's a slipstream of grace that I can enter into when I begin to start doing life according to his plan and his will and his power and his spirit in my life? I want to say this today, and for those of you who are writing notes, I would love for you to write this down because it's important. Our church must be a work of God's spirit and power. And our involvement in it is simply by God's grace. Listen to how one commentary put it. If we are involved, therefore, in building up the life of God's church, we need to pray both that our good resolutions and our acts of faith may be impregnated with the power and the grace of God, and that our motivation may be solely that the name of Jesus Christ may be glorified. The only reason we do what we do around here at the well is so that the name of Jesus may be glorified. Come on, somebody. It's not about a human. It's not about a team. It's not about a person. It's about the person, the person of Jesus Christ who gets all of the glory and all of the honor. And so we've got to understand that motivation matters. The second thing that Paul says this is because he says, I laid a foundation. Paul then tells us what that foundation is. He says the foundation is Jesus. Glory to glory is not just a series leading up to our legacy offering. It's a series where we are once again affirming and clarifying what this place is and who we are as a church. And we are a church built on Jesus. Five of you, let's do this again. We are a church, come on somebody, built on Jesus. He alone is our foundation. All right, you ready to get challenged a bit? Can I get up in your business for a second? All right, listen to this. For the longest time, the church has been building a place for people and inviting Jesus. Think about it. We build what we want to build and be like, oh, Jesus, sorry. Hey, you want to come and... We saved a seat for you. For the longest time, the church has been building a place for people and inviting Jesus. But I want to declare over us today that the well is building a place for Jesus and inviting people. We're inviting people to experience him, commune with him, be changed by him, congregate around him, be loved by him, worship him, and be saved by him. The church is unified by its foundation, but finds diversity in its expression. How did Paul lay that foundation? He tells us in his third statement. He says, as a skilled master builder, the Lego movie got it from the Bible. The Greek words that are deployed here have a closer meaning to wise architect. To be a skilled master builder is to do all that one does with wisdom, especially where the house of God is concerned. We need a church that is built with wisdom. A wor- the world needs a church that is built with wisdom, especially as we navigate the new waters that we find ourselves in in this modern world and culture. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says about this. He says, much of our work for Christ is little better than child's play because we have not entered into his wisdom and his power. The house of God should be a house of 
wisdom. Come on, how many of you would, would say by a show of hand that you need wisdom right now? Come on, hopefully everybody put your hand, like, let's, parents, you need both your feet out on this one. Come on, show of hands. How many of you say, I need wisdom right now? Business owners, we need wisdom right now. Parents, we need wisdom right now. Married people, we need wisdom right now. Singles, we need wisdom right now. College students, we need wisdom right now. Students, you need wisdom right now. Come on, we all need wisdom. And that's why the house of God should be a house of wisdom. You didn't come here today to receive nonsense. Come on, somebody. Was there anybody who woke up today and they're like, man, I hope when I get to church, it's absolute nonsense. <laughs> like, I hope today everything he says is gibberish. I have no idea what he's saying. I actually hope I walk out of here today not understanding anything and can't apply it to my life at all. <laughs> Was that anybody's prayer today? No, what, you, you came for wisdom. You may not understand that. You may not have said it that way, but you came here today to have your mind transformed, to have your heart renewed, to have your spirit lifted, and to get some coffee. (laughs) Wisdom. We need wisdom in this hour. James chapter one, verse five. James would write this now. If any of you lacks wisdom, come on, has anybody met anybody who lacks wisdom? Everybody looking forward right now. Don't even, don't do it. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. If we put our hand to the task of building a house for generations to come, it's going to take wisdom. Here's the last statement that Paul makes before we get to the practical part of this message and talking about the materials more. He says, one is to be careful how he builds. Everybody shout careful. Careful. Everybody shout careful. Come on, all across this building today, auditorium one and two, everybody shout careful. 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 It's an interesting word, isn't it? Careful. Well, many of us, we hear careful and we think safe. Right? Especially in this generation. Can I just go out on like just public service announcement out on record today? This is a safety oriented generation. How many of you would agree with me that? Like right now, we bubble wrap our kids when we send them outside. <laughs> We have a helmet for the helmet, knee pads, elbow pads. We wrap them in in foam and then we send them outside. Our kids like walking outside like this. I'm ready to play. (laughs) We're safety oriented and and I get it. There's been a lot of of bad things that have happened in life that has caused us to be safety oriented. But I remember back in my day, I get to say that now, right? I don't know if I barely had clothes on when I went outside to play, (laughs) let alone a helmet. It was like Lord of the Flies out there just spears and speedos everywhere. It was, <laughs> right? It was wild. It came back dirty, bloody. I walk in the house with a gash in my head and mom would be like, wash it off. You're good. But somewhere along the way, the journey of, of our world and our culture has moved towards safetyism. Safetyism. Can I just tell you today that God does not ask us to do safe things? He says, be careful, but he, sa- he doesn't say be safe. The Greek here describes the idea of careful as having sight. 
But not just any sight, discerning sight. Prophetic sight. It's what Jesus would mean when he says, having eyes to see. To be careful is to be one who navigates with precision and intention, but not safety. To navigate faith and, and life with precision and intentionality, but not safety. Why? Because God never invites us into safe things. You need to be careful and have prophetic vision and discerning sight when he asks us to do dangerous things. When he asks us to do things that defy logic, when he asks us to do things that don't make sense. I know in my life and by way of experience, God has asked me numerous amounts of times to do things that do not make sense. God is not a safe God, but he is a good God. He's not asking you to be safe, but he's saying with prophetic vision and, and discernment, wander out into the thing that I'm calling you to. It will not be safe, but come on, it will be worth it. And so he says, you better be careful, but not safe. I've found that God rarely asks us to do safe things. How many of you know it was not safe when God asked Noah to build a boat when there was no rain? How many of you know it was not safe when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? How many of you know it was not safe for Moses to stand before Pharaoh and declare, let my people go? It was not safe for Moses to lead the children of Israel into the wilderness. How many of you know it was not safe for Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the promised land? And it was not safe when he would ask God to make the sun stand still. How many of you know it was not safe for David to face a giant, for Elijah to face the prophets of Baal, for Gideon to face a vast army? How many of you know it was not safe for Esther to approach the king or for Nehemiah to build a wall? How many of you know it was not safe for John the Baptist to announce the Messiah and for the disciples to follow Jesus? Jesus. It was not safe for Peter to walk on water or preach at Pentecost. It was not safe for Paul to plant and build churches, and it wasn't safe for Timothy to pastor them. How many of you know it was not safe for Jesus to declare himself as king, preach in the cities, heal the blind, multiply food, walk on water? How many of you know it was not safe to go to the cross? It wasn't safe. But safety rather, or safety rarely sees miracles. I don't want to live safe. I don't want a safe church. We just bundle up and wait for Jesus to come back. But that's what's happened. We got in our little kumbaya circles. And said, oh, the world's hard. Yep, he said that it would be. It's dangerous. Yep, he said that it would be. He said, don't be surprised when the world persecutes you. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. Come on. These are the introductory thoughts of Paul as he gets ready then to communicate what then would be the central theme of this section of scripture the comparison and the contrast of building materials. Paul will list two sets of building materials that he will use as an analogy or an illustration for quality versus inept building materials. 
These building materials can be interpreted in, f- in a couple different ways. I'm gonna look at three ways they can be interpreted. And then I'm gonna add some statements to them to help apply them to our, our modern age. Is that all right with everybody today? Yeah. And so I wanna spend the remainder of our time focusing on today uh, as we look at three truths that m- we must concern ourselves with as we build a healthy, vibrant, Jesus-focused, spirit-filled, God-honoring church. Yeah. Healthy, vibrant, Jesus-focused, spirit-filled, God-honoring church. Healthy, vibrant, Jesus-focused, spirit-filled, God-honoring church. Healthy, come on somebody, vibrant, Jesus-focused, spirit-filled, God-honoring church. For how many of you would say that's a church that I want to be a part of today? And that's what we're looking to talk about. So Paul writes this now, starting in verse 12 verses 17, to verse 17. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, there's the building materials. Each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test. Every shout test. Every shout test. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, this is New Testament, listen to these words, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that is what you are. Need your help today, every shot number one. Here's the first truth that Paul tells us and that we understand as a, as a definition of these, of these uh, quality or inequality materials. A healthy house has an enduring quality versus a temporal and myopic. A healthy house has an enduring quality versus temporal and myopic. Psalm 127 verse one declares to us, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. Everybody looking at me when I ask you this question today, have you ever considered what it means to endure or remain? To endure or remain. Seth, we pop up here really quick. To endure, this is my. <laughs> He'll destroy you. Um, endure or remain for many of us has a tendency to cause us to think about overcoming. How many of you would agree with me on that? We have a tendency, especially in church vernacular, we think, oh yeah, overcoming, to endure or to to remain is about overcoming. I want you to get this picture, and this is just off the top of my head, but I I think we really need to see this. I want you to put put your hands out, and I want you to put no force against me yet, okay? I won't push you over. (laughs) Change your footing, change your footing. Thank you. (laughs) All right, put your hands up. So how many of you know that if if I apply pressure here and enough pressure... I will topple him over. It's not because Seth's not strong. He's a brute of mass force. (laughs) But it's because he's not in a position to endure or remain. It's not just about overcoming. The Bible is very clear that like things are tested and, and they're tested to see if they can endure or remain. Now, if he changes his position, how many of you know that when I apply pressure, What's he doing? Enduring or remaining? And here's the thing. 
This is actually how you and I have been called to live our life out. Is to endure and remain. But what many of us ask God for is no pressure. So that I can just stand. But Paul says, no, fire is going to test it. So I want you to get this picture again, to endure and remain. Now, the building quality of us corporately or you individually is how your life is being built, how this church is being built. Y'all see what I'm talking about? Precious stones, gold, silver, or wood, hay, and straw, because this is life. And occasionally there's just general pressure, and occasionally there's big pressure. (laughs) How long can we do this for, right? But many of us are praying for no pressure. But the quality of your life, the quality of this house is not tested in ease. It's tested in pressure. Thanks, Seth. You know, we've had a lot of issues as homeowners. (laughs) The latest one was a debacle. And with all of these issues that we've had as homeowners with different things in our house, ranging from refrigerators, dishwashers, furnaces, air conditioning units, the house in general. (laughs) Here's the phrase I repeatedly hear from people. Maybe you've heard this before. They don't make them like they used to. How many of you have heard that before? They don't make them like they used to. I pray this is not the phrase that's ever spoken over the church. They don't make them like they used to. How many of you know if I start continuing to chip away at this thing, I don't even have to barely touch it before it topples over. Just a little breeze. They don't make them like they used to. Preacher's Commentary series articulates it like this. One is only to read the words, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, to stimulate picture of things valuable and things worthless, things that are costly and things that are cheap, things permanent and things temporary. Church, can I just once again affirm this to us today as we move towards our legacy offering next weekend? We're not building a church that's temporary flash in the pan. What does it look like to build something that's here 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 100 years from now, lest Jesus come back? So it's not just about a building. It's not, we're not renovating a building. We're building a house that stands. We're building a house that, that allows pressure. So Jesus says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Number two, the second thing. Everybody shout number two. Here's the second thing I want us to to know and realize that Paul's talking about as he speaks about the quality of these things. He says a healthy house is growing and maturity, is growing in maturity versus fading and complacent. Mm. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, starting in verse 11 says this, and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity and the faith and the knowledge of God's son. Growing into what? Growing into what? Growing into what? Maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. 
Maturation is the goal. Now we are all in different places in our journey. I understand that and it's totally okay. But that does not negate the overall goal of our lives, our faith and for our church to mature. Maybe you came in here today and you have never cracked open a Bible. Welcome to the well. I am so glad that you're here today. Come on, somebody. I am so glad that you maybe wandered in here like deer in headlights going, what is going on right now? I am so glad that you are here today. You may have never been in a worship service like this before. Everybody's hands up, people clapping, people cheering. You're looking around going like, what is happening right now? That's totally fine. You may come in here today broken and destitute and lonely, and I'm so glad that you are here today. You may come in here today addicted and beat up, and I'm so glad that you're coming in here today. Your marriage may be falling apart right now, and I am so glad that you are here today. But here's the big idea that I need us to understand. God loves us, like we've said, right where we are at, but he wants us to mature into new things. We mature, we grow. Maturation is the goal. Second Timothy 2, 23 to 21. Now in a large house, they're not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. So if anyone, 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 anyone <laughs> purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart. This is consecration, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Our church, the well, it must grow in spiritual maturity. Come on, if there's an amen in the house today after some of these, I just want you to shout it. We must grow in missional maturity and stature. We must grow in financial security and maturity. We must grow in worship maturity. We must mature in biblical literacy and knowledge. We must mature as a church in prayer, intercession, and spiritual gifts. Did you know what? Maturity makes us battle ready. Maturity makes us battle ready. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a grace-o-meter? And from it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. Can I just tell you something today? There's a difference between a myopic, boring, apathetic church and a church that is alive and vibrant by the Spirit of God. Y'all with me in church today? Where we settle in to like, it's just service today. Now, I'm not talking about personal things going in life. I understand that. We all have them. But I'm talking about settling in where I'm just doing a religious duty. Show up today, five minutes before service. Get mad at the usher because auditorium one's full. <laughs> Go over in auditorium two. Worship. Three songs. Clap. Clap. Cheer because someone had a miracle. Yay. Y'all see what I'm talking about? You told me at the beginning I could challenge you. You said, you said it. But that's how we go sometimes. When I see apathy in our faith, I wonder if the spirit of God is stirring in us. This should be the most vibrant place on the planet. I really truly believe that. 
Seriously, we should top everything in vibrancy. Right? Local coffee shop, we got more vibrancy. Local gym, we got more vibrancy. Local concert, we got more vibrancy. Why? Because it's not about any of those things. It's about the spirit of God at work in our church. We're worshiping and we're clapping. Man, we should, it should be loud in here. You should be louder than the speakers. Some of you are like, is that physically possible? Yes. Our legacy offering next weekend is about maturing our church. Being able to continue to reach people for the glory of God. Am I talking to anybody in church today? Last one is this. Number three, every shot number three. A healthy house is sound in its teaching versus hollow and appeasing. Okay, now I'm going to ruffle some feathers today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 5 says this. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying that Paul died for your sins. That means we've got sin. We believe in a physical, a literal physical death and we believe in a literal physical resurrection. This is not an analogy. This is not an illustration. This is not a metaphor. Can I tell you, I don't care at this point what science says, math says, or anything else says. The man Jesus, fully God and fully man, died upon a cross. He was placed in a grave. And by the grace and the power of God, he rose again three days later. That is the gospel. And he saved you and he saved me from death, hell, and the grave. (laughs) Sound teaching. That's kind of harsh. Did God really say? Knows you got to look where you can pull it from. (laughs) Can I tell you that my role as your pastor is not to make you feel good and not to tell you what you want to hear. My job as your pastor is to preserve the integrity of the thing that Jesus said he would build. So week in and week out, we're putting pieces back. We're saying, no, 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 leave, leave that there, that truth. I know it's, it's hard, but it makes you strong. Don't, don't mess with it. There, there you go. That's the house that God built. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi. 
as you know, I love this. We were treated outrageously. And because of it, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. There's motives again. Instead, just as have we, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. Did you know as your pastor, I'm not gonna stand before you at the end of the day. Thank the Lord. I'm gonna stand before God and be held accountable to what it is that we did or did not say. Can I tell you just to wind this down and close? Anybody and everybody is welcome at the well. Those doors are wide open to everybody. But my responsibility is to make sure that we have sound teaching versus hollow and appeasing teaching. Somebody said it like this recently, and I absolutely loved it. Check this out. Worship gets the church hot. Teaching keeps the church sober and systems keep the church organized. Worship gets the church hot. Teaching keeps the church sober and systems keeps the church organized. When you have those things going on, you have an unstoppable church that will continue to reach people. Come on somebody to the glory and to the praise of Jesus. I believe in the power of the gospel. It rescued me. It rescued lots of people in here. And I wonder if today it'll rescue somebody else. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. A couple instructions. We're gonna pray a prayer in this moment. After this prayer, one of our service pastors is gonna come up get some details worked out. And I'm gonna ask that everybody, both in auditorium one and auditorium two, please stay seated out of respect until they dismiss you with our benediction. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around right now, I wonder if there's somebody in here or in auditorium two or online today that would say, man, Jason, I need this Jesus we're talking about, the builder of his church. We simply come to him with a confession that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I'm no longer gonna do it my way, but I'm gonna do it God's way. Simple as that. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm gonna invite all of us to pray this prayer after me today, out loud, both auditoriums today. As loud as you can, repeat this after me, everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. My past, my present, and my future. Save me. Change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. I'm sorry for doing it my way. And today, I declare that I'm following your way. Thank you for grace. In Jesus' name.